0: Now in this part of our service together this morning, Sarah is going to come and read from John 17 for us. Um, John chapter 17, verses 1 to
1: 19.
0: Thank you. If you have a Bible with you this morning, please open it again with me to John seventeen, verse nineteen, verses of the chapter. Um, I wonder this morning if you knew that this week was going to be your last week on earth. How was it? How would you live it out? What activities would you do? Who would you go to see? Who's important enough to go and see in your final days? Your family, of course. Your friends, well, some of them. Do you have time for that last big experience? Do you book yourself in for that last-minute skydive? Or the opportunity to swim with dolphins? There's so much, isn't there, that we would want to cram into our last few days here on earth. So many people to see. So many things to do. So much stuff that just must happen, isn't there? The passage that we had read to us is the great high priestly prayer of Jesus. A great prayer prayed by Jesus in the final days of his life here on earth. And much has been written about this prayer throughout history. It is in depth there are deep themes running through it and interwoven throughout. Taylor helpfully writes that this, this prayer consists of around 650 words. It takes approximately three minutes and 30 seconds to read, but will take all of eternity for us to fully understand it. In this prayer, Jesus prays for himself, He prays for his disciples, and in the verses 20 to 26, he prays for the church and the world. This morning, we're going to look at the first 19 verses of this chapter together. But even in the mornings, as you've been spending time together in the gospel of John, I'm sure you've recognized the great complexity and how deeply thematic he is in how he writes. And this prayer is no different this morning and so this morning I want us to particularly focus on this theme of glory which runs throughout this prayer and so I have three really simple points for us this morning that I hope we'll be able to see as we spend time looking at this passage firstly I hope we see that there are glimpses of glory throughout all of scripture secondly we see that glory is found in the sun and thirdly and finally We see that glory continues in his disciples. So firstly, glimpses of glory. I don't know this morning what it is that you think of when you think of glory. Um, This week as I was preparing, I stumbled across a weekly podcast called (coughs) Hope and Glory, which is presented by BBC Lincolnshire a podcast which follows the highs and the lows of Lincoln Football Club, a League One football team in England. I laughed as I listened to an episode. This would be much like me doing one for Glenavon in Lurgan. (sighs) (laughs) But again, it reminded me that this is how people think about glory. It's the great glory of winning a football match the glory of scoring a last-minute winner, the glory of winning a trophy at the end of the season. For many, this is how limited our knowledge or our thought is of glory. I believe this one in the Bible gives us a greater sense of what glory really is. Throughout it, we see glimpses of God's great and spectacular glory. The theme of glory is a major biblical one. It is throughout the entire narrative. Time and time again we read of God's glory and his presence being referred to with a great sense of awe and reverent fear. God is presented throughout the Bible as this most glorious being and which no human being can match or compare to. Right from the garden to here, this point of Jesus dwelling on earth, God's glory has been central to the entire story. If we think briefly back into the Old Testament, the glory of God was in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle and in the temple alike. No man could stand before the presence of Almighty God without dying. A blood sacrifice had to be made for the priest to enter on the day of atonement. God's glory was not something to be messed with. Our God is a holy God, as we've been singing together this morning. His power and his might was greater than any man, army, or kingdom. And even as God continues to command his people in how they must live, in that great Exodus story, we see a great cloud and thunder as God speaks to Moses, such power and glory physically displayed for us. He's telling the people, I have rescued you. Did you not see my glory in how I was able to defeat Pharaoh and the Egyptians? His commands, therefore, are that he wants them as his rescued people to worship him for how truly glorious he is. Because nothing is able to compare to him in his glory and splendor. We could continue all day. The examples from the Old Testament are endless. This morning we need to recognize that God's glory is a major theme throughout the Bible. And even here, as you've been reading John's gospel together, I'm sure you've picked up on this, that glory runs throughout it. John begins his gospel with those incredible words, In John 1 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if we jump down to verse 14 of chapter 1, we read these words The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus has revealed to us the great glory of God. Hughes helpfully writes that the glory of God is seen in the revelation of who he is and what he is. Jesus has been displaying for his followers a foretaste of the great glory to which is his. And we see this glory in John's gospel time and time again In John 2, we see Jesus manifest his glory in the wedding at Cana. We see it again as he responds to the Jews who claim that he is a demonized Samaritan. Again, we see it as Jesus speaks at the death and the resurrection of Lazarus that the glory of God is going to shine. Glory is huge in John's gospel alone. We don't have time this morning to go through all of it. But we need to recognize that what Jesus prays for here is the fulfillment of an entire biblical theme which John has picked up in his gospel. And so the Bible is full of glimpses of glory. And then as we look more deliberately at this great prayer of Jesus, I hope we see that glory is found in the Son. Growing up, I was a Huge Power Rangers fan. I have no shame about that this morning. Recently, I saw that they're all on Netflix again and had a little trip down memory lane. Um, every little boy wanted to be the red Power Ranger and date the pink Power Ranger. That was just a given in life growing up. I would get my costume out and I would dress up time and time again and think that I was indeed the red Power Ranger until my mom. Or somebody in my family reminded me that actually, even with the suit on, I am still Jordan Jones, and I will always be only Jordan Jones. And sometimes I think this morning, as we read the words of this prayer, we think that Jesus is asking God, "Can He put His glory suit back on?" The error that we make is thinking that Jesus is asking God, "Will You make me God again?" That is not at all what Jesus is saying. Jesus has never stopped being perfectly God, even in coming to earth. Jesus, in coming to earth and taking on humanity, he gave up the great splendor of heaven to become a humble baby in a broken world. But he did not stop being God. So he's praying here, as we've read these words together, that as he completes the will of the Father, that his physical body will return to the glory he had before he came to earth. And Jesus prays this prayer knowing that his time on earth is coming to an end. He's fully aware that he's going to die. But he knows that in his death and in his resurrection, God was going to be most glorified Jesus knows he's about to complete the work that was set out for him by going and dying upon the cross, by taking our place. God had sent his only son into the world so that those who believe in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Those great words of hope from John 3.16 were about to be fulfilled in Jesus. This great mission was about to be complete. And Jesus begins this prayer in verse 1 by saying, the hour has finally come. Jesus throughout the Gospels has been referring to this hour and how it had not come. But now as he prays, he knows his hour has finally come. It was time for him as the son to be glorified. And so he prays that this will be done that as he completes the will of the Father in dying upon the cross, that glory will come upon him, that he will be glorified in his death. In verses two and three, reread these words. Please read them with me. He says, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. Did they know you? the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The Father has been glorified in the fact that people have come to faith in the Son, the Son in which he had sent into the world and they have gained eternal life from it. In saving his people, God is greatly glorified we see this in the Exodus, we see that we've seen this throughout the Old Testament, but we see this to its fullest degree in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. His re- great redemptive acts as he dies is the only way in which you and I can come back into relationship with God again. As we trust and we place our faith in Jesus and in his life and his death and his resurrection, we glorify God as we recognize our great need of him, we're able to worship and glorify God fully and perfectly again. That Hughes quote has been super helpful for me this week and something that I've kept coming back to. The glory of God is seen in the revelation of who he is and what he is. As we look upon Jesus, as we read about him, we must see the great glory of God in and through him. There is glory in the sun this morning. We can come and praise God because he is indeed glorious this morning. In verse five, we see that Jesus knows the glory that awaits him at the Father's side. It was the glory that he had emptied himself off in humbly coming to the earth In human form for us. But now he's praying that once again he will have that great splendor, a splendor that is equal with the Father's. Jesus is asking that as the Word has become flesh, as he has taken on human form, that his new human body will be glorified. He's never stopped being God, he's never stopped being the Son, he's always been glorious. But Jesus is praying that this human body will be taken to the glory he had before the creation of the entire world. His body was not to be left in the grave, but his body was to be glorified. But in this great prayer, Jesus doesn't only pray for himself, he prays also for his disciples. So in verses 6 to 19, we read of how glory is to be continued in his disciples. Um, in the chapters that have preceded chapter 17, 14 to 16, we can read some of the the final words that Jesus speaks with his disciples. He desires to, to greatly encourage them. He tells them, I have overcome the world. He's helping them to see their need to trust in him and to continue to do so, to abide in him if we want to refer to the vine. But as they do this, as they live for him in a world, they're going to suffer and they're going to face persecution. The future of his disciples is going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. There's going to be times that it's of great distress. But Jesus is praying here that they persevere in those times. They must keep their hope and faith in him and him alone. If they're going to share in God's great glory, then they're going to have to share in his suffering as well. Jesus here prays that they will be able to do this. How amazing is that thought this morning? Here's Jesus on the night on which he knows that he's going to be betrayed. He knows what It lies in front of him in the coming days. The great suffering that he's going to face. And here he prays for his disciples. Jesus has a deep love and care for these men. These men who have been following after him for three years. And he longs that they will continue to follow after him. Even throughout the good and the bad times which lie ahead of them. He knows that they need God's help if they're ever going to have a chance to be faithful and to live for him. In verse 6 we read of how Jesus has manifested God's word to them. God has given them to him as his chosen people. And Jesus has proclaimed his word to them. He has proclaimed the gospel to them. He has revealed to them who God is. He has taught them how to live lives which glorify God. These men have been set apart from the world by God to live lives of obedience and faith in him. They have obeyed Jesus. They have trusted that he is the son of God, sent by God himself. And in accepting Jesus, they have become God's people Look at verses nine and 10 with me, please. Jesus says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. They are yours. If we trust in Jesus... This morning, we are God's people. We are his. There's a beautiful picture painted for us here. It's like on a wedding day when a husband and a wife said to each other, what's mine is yours and yours is mine. There is no division in God. Those who believe in Jesus are the fathers. We are God's chosen people this morning. And the glory that Jesus receives now from his disciples is only small in proportion to the glory that will be. And Jesus knows that he's leaving them to the temptations and the persecutions of the world. And so that he prays that the Holy Father in verse 11 will keep them. That whilst he's been on earth, he has been physically with them and keeping them. But now he's, he knows he's leaving them. And he knows that the world will hate them just as he was hated. And so he prays for God's hand to be protecting them from the attacks of the evil one. He prays for the sanctification of his disciples. The shorter catechism defines sanctification as this the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. His disciples, they ought to be holy just as God is holy. And so as Jesus is sending them out into the world, he prays that they will be set apart from the world by God. And that they will remember the great truth and the revelation of Jesus Christ at all times. That they will live lives which glorify him. That they will be putting to death the temptation and sin of this world. And that they will be living as God's people in true righteousness. That is Jesus' prayer for his disciples. And So as I close what about us this morning in First Port of Down? Well, I believe this prayer extends to us this morning. We are, we too as God's people if we are believers here this morning are to live lives as God's people. We need to live a life which is glorifying to God. So that means by God's grace, we need to put our sin to death this morning. Whatever that looks like. And in return, we need to live for his righteousness and his righteousness alone. And we do that knowing that we can only do that by God's grace and by his help. It means this morning that we take heart. This is a glorious prayer for us. Jesus has died in our place. The gospel hope is rich and full. One day we will see God in all of his glory and we will worship him forever with our own glorified beings and bodies. So we need to recognize again that we do not suffer in this world without hope. We this morning share in Christ's sufferings. But one day we will share in his glory and splendor. There's a call for us this morning, isn't there? To remember those brothers and sisters who are persecuted, to log on to Open Doors website or some other Christian organization, and to be a people who are praying for our persecuted church. We need to pray for struggling believers where we are, those in our workplaces, those in our homes those in our families, those in this church. As I told the kids earlier, John Knox had these great words read to him every day before he died. A prayer which should greatly encourage us this morning. A prayer that should spur us on to keep living our lives for the glory of God. If this was indeed to be our last week on earth, Let us, with God's help, live lives which are to his glory. Knowing that Jesus, the glorious inheritance that awaits for us when we die. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank you that we are able to live for your glory by your help and by your strength. Father, would you enable us to be a people who put sin to death? Would you help us to live for you in all things? Father, we thank you for Jesus this morning. Father, we thank you that we have a hope and a strength. God, we thank you that the gospel is still real and rich and full. Father, we pray that you will help us this week to live lives which glorify you.